Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You know, I talked to someone who's a parent of a dyslexic child about how so many of the most successful entrepreneurs are dyslexic. Uh, I don't know if you've connected with other people on that. I think Barbara Corcoran is actually in that category too, where she is dyslexic and is also like you, this entrepreneurial titan. Eight of 12 sharks are dyslexic. I've been on the show dyslexic. Kevin is dyslexic. Barbara's dyslexic. I'm dyslexic. Branson's dyslexic. I believe Rohan is dyslexic. So since you lived this, what do you attribute that incredible correlation to? Because having two thirds of sharks being dyslexic is staggering. I think that, well, I know that I can attribute my dyslexia to, it is that um, whenever I would read something, I would have to read it many times because I wasn't not certain that I absorbed the information the right way. And even after that, like I, I read Think and Grow Rich every, every other year um, and Buffetology and various other books. But um, after that, I also used to go out and try to practice the things that I thought that I read because I still wasn't certain that I absorbed the information the right way. So going out to practice things would, would, would really help me perfect whatever I was doing. Today's episode of Yang Speaks, Damon John, the CEO of FUBU, investor, businessman, titan, and recurring shark on the hit show Shark Tank, joins the conversation with Andrew Yang. And I will say this before you listening, Andrew did this episode just hours after passing a kidney stone. So thoughts and prayers for Andrew. He is recovering, um, but he's also a psychopath who powered through this thing, um, which is pretty cool. So uh, Andrew, you're crazy and a badass, and Damon John's also a badass. So you guys are going to love this episode. So tune in, Damon John joining Yang Speaks right now. It is my pleasure and privilege to welcome to Yang Speaks my friend, fellow presidential ambassador of global entrepreneurship and the Obama administration, legendary entrepreneur. You probably know him from Shark Tank or from FUBU, which freaking helped shape the culture I grew up in. Damon John! What's up, man? It's so great to see you. Uh, and... This has been such like a, a crazy time. Uh, you know, the last time you and I saw each other in person, 
So people would never believe this, but the office of my presidential campaign was in the same office as your your uh, co-working space empire. Uh, so I would just bump into you in the elevator. <laughs> and just keep running into each other. Yeah, and, and then the world changed, obviously, in, in March. How's the, how have you been, like, this last number of months? Uh, listen, I've been great, man. Um, thank God my whole family is healthy and safe. And um, we did lose a lot of people, you know, whether employees, families, and friends, you know, probably, uh, you know, because New York was hit so hard. So probably about, you know, I heard, you know, probably about 40 people we lost the, in the earlier, in the later, excuse me, in the early part of last year. Um, but overall, you know, blessed, healthy, and, uh, and still around to fight another day. Yeah, it's been so brutal, Damon. Uh, I know so many people lost friends, family members, and loved ones this past number of months. I mean, my, my parents, frankly, left the country because we thought that was the safest thing for them to do, uh, was, was for them to, to leave. And that, it turns out that was probably right. Uh, and then I got COVID myself a couple months ago, which was an ordeal. And, you know, I, I don't think I was ever in any real danger, but it sucked for sure. Um, so yeah, the, the, the fact that you lost people you knew, man, that, that's so hard. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think it's brought an awareness to a lot of people and the value of life and, and, and how we can't take things for granted. And we just need to, to, you know, rebuild in all, all, all aspects of life, you know? So we'll move on from there and, you know, I, I hope nobody else has to face this type of stuff. Well, you're an incredibly positive person. One of the most po like productive people I've ever had the privilege of, of knowing. Uh, and I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about like the Yankees cap you've got on, like the, <laughs> like, the like, your New York roots. Uh, because when I, I referred to FUBU, I remember the first time I uh, got exposed to FUBU was during that Gap commercial with LL Cool J, where he was just like, for us, by us. And then I was so confused e even in, in that day because I was like, Wait a minute! Did that guy just like advertise another clothing brand while he was uh, in a video for the Gap? <laughs> there were a lot of people that were extremely confused when that happened. You know, so so the story goes that LL, you know, did put he wore a baseball cap and he put "For Us, By Us" on the low in the Gap ad, and um, uh, because he was frustrated, he felt the the Gap wasn't really taking. You know, they didn't they didn't respect hip hop. They didn't respect him. They just wanted to hire him to do this commercial. Um, and, you know, I think this reflects kind of what we're seeing going on where we talk about diversity and inclusion because the Gap uh, ended up spending $30 million airing that ad. And I remember us in the office looking at this going, at first, I mean, my mouth just dropped the first week. The second week, my mouth was still dropped. But by, by the three and a half weeks in, I was like, these idiots don't know what they did, what's happening because they, they didn't have anybody that represented the culture, whether of color or whether of music orientation in the company. So if you look at you look at sometimes how diversity and inclusion is probably probably smart, you know, to have a little bit of other opinions, because think about it. They spent 30 million dollars airing FUBU ads. Now I do have to give it up to the gap. You know what they did after that? They did their analytics. Right. Uh, and they realized that the target hit market they were trying to hit increased 300 percent because the kids thought they can get FUBU at the gap. They go out and rerun the ad. And I got to tell you, they, they were brilliant for doing that. And I'm super happy that they did that as well. <laughs> That's an incredible story. So that was uh, in the early 90s when you guys were still coming up. And one of the stories that you told me and that I got from your book uh, was your first business 
was driving a van across uh, Queens, I think it was, where you would just stop and people would get on. And how much uh, money would they give you to get on the van? A dollar, dollar each. So in New York, they, we call them, uh, you can either call them gypsy cabs or they call them dollar, dollar vans. And they're, they're heavily in um, Brooklyn and Queens, where we go up and down the bus route um, and people hop on and hop off and give you a dollar. Um, and you know, it, it was, it was my business for a long period of time, but I, I worked for about four years doing that. And then I was just drained because even though I was making 300 a day, I was, I was grossing 300 a day. I was probably netting $15 a day by the time <laughs> I pay for all my, um, my beat up van, pay for the gas. And by the way, it's not legal if you don't have a taxi and limousine commission issued plates. So I get one ticket from the department of transportation for picking up in a bus stop. That was $2,500. So uh, that was, uh, that was a, a lesson I learned about the difference of grossing and netting and, um, and how you should have all the right things in place to run a business because if you don't, you, you, can, you can really hurt yourself. So you went from driving back and forth, and during that time, uh, I think you were starting to dabble in attire, is that right? Like what, ski hats were some of your first products? Yeah, it was, you know, it was my, um, my, my, my couple of hats that I sold on, um, you know, uh, you know, on the corner and then I would go and buy shirts and stuff with just characters on it. And then I would fill my van filled with, cause I'd take the seats out of the van and then I'd fill it filled with super soakers. And during the Greek fest or picnic, I'd go down to Jones beach and sell the super soakers to all the kids. So I was always trying to find a way to, to make a couple of bucks. Well, FUBU ended up being this incredible leap of faith for your family, your mom. I think she mortgaged the house to get you the startup capital after she saw that the business had potential. What a freaking family, (laughs) you know, love, loyalty story that is. Because I I feel like a lot of others would, um, you know, wouldn't have had that kind of belief or confidence. Yeah, mom had faith, man. Um... You know, she knew that I was working on the house as well. I was, I was, I was paying a lot of the bills at some time. You know, her, you know, she worked her jobs. I did, and we collectively put together. She wouldn't have necessarily given me the money just out of, you know, a leave of faith. But I had three hundred thousand dollars in orders, and I came home and I got turned down by twenty-seven banks. Now, I rightfully so got turned down by twenty-seven banks because I was not using the house as collateral, and I didn't know how. I didn't have financial intelligence, so. I, I wasn't really filling out a loan application the way that it should be filled out. Um, but she did say, this is all we have, this house. So let's mortgage the house. And uh, then when you you know, get the goods out, you put the money back in. As soon as you make the money, you put the money back in. And she went out and she got a $100,000 loan on our house. And I have no idea because the house is worth seventy-five. So to till today, I haven't asked her what she did for the rest of the money. But I got to tell you, you know, shout out to moms. Moms are the ultimate entrepreneurs. They figure it out. Well, shoot, man. I'm not sure those banks were right not giving you that loan <laughs> if you had 300,000 in orders. And, and, and that's something I would love to see change, frankly. Like if there is an entrepreneur like you coming up and you have traction and are starting to get momentum, I mean, someone has to believe uh, in your growth, uh, I think. And, you know, you see all these, frankly, like TV commercials where the banks are all like, we're going to be a partner in your growth. <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd like to see that that play out for real. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. 
Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record, your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses as tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com slash yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So this was around the time we were talking about where FUBU really took off, right? I started FUBU in 89. I closed it three times from 89 to 92. Then I started again in 92 with my buddies. Um, I would start getting public recognition around 95. And like 96, 97 is when I started, I got, I got obviously my, my, my bigger manufacturing and distribution deal. And I got FUBU out to the market. And that's when it started to really hit around 97, 98. Well, that, that's incredible, man. And, and so how big did the operation get? And when did you, for example, transition out of your home to like an office to a manufacturing facility and, and all the rest of it? Because that must have been an incredible time. You must have been still over your skis in a lot of ways, like figuring out, <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, I think it was the year 96. I had moved three times. I because my house, I turned my house into a factory. I then I got my deal. 
and I was no, I was now uh, stationed in the Empire State Building. Um, you know, the word was out that food was making money, so I was I was fearful for my life. Uh, you know, at in back in the neighborhood, so I couldn't return back to that house. And then I had moved. Uh, I moved my my wife, uh, who was my girlfriend at the time. We just had a baby. I moved her to one place. I moved. I moved to Manhattan just for four months, so I can be right there at the office. And um, and then we finally we moved like two more times. We finally got our house uh, in in Long Island, Sands Point, right around ninety eight. I was in Asia, I was in uh, Europe, and uh, I was traveling most of the time in factories and stuff like that. My life was just a whirlwind, and we were right around 98, I think we started to, we, we, we started to do around 350, uh, $350 million annual sales, and um, it, was, it was a lot going on. Uh, you know, and, and in, the, in the apparel business, that's a great number, but it's not the biggest number. I mean, you could think, you know, people like Nike are doing $30 billion a year, you know, and Ralph Lauren, probably $3 billion a year, but... 350 million was uh was 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 a lot for me. You know, I was I told you I was working a van. I was netting $15 a day. So 350 million was was, was quite a quite over my skis. <laughs> well, so you you built this household name brand uh and then I think a, a lot of these retailers are trying to get a piece of the action in in different ways. Uh, FUBU is now featured in the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture, which must be like a real point of pride. It's like, what the heck clothing brand makes it into the Smithsonian? Uh, and, and over time, I mean, that 350 million peak, I mean, you earned over 6 billion in global sales over all the years that, that FUBU was in operation. Uh, but I, I do have the sense that, you know, like you were learning as you were going, like what are like the giant lessons you took from, from that? The big takeaways were that there are good and bad people. You know, I came from the streets, and I, 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 I love this, this, th to make apparel for this new genre of music. And I was trying to escape the clutches of drug dealers and various other things I felt in the streets. But uh, the reality is, that when you have a lot of money flowing through systems, there's a lot of bad people too. They just don't come with a gun; they come with a pen. You know, so be careful. Um, it also uh, lessons were trust your gut. Because there may be a lot of things that look good on paper or a person that looks good in person, but if your gut tells you something and you can't necessarily articulate why you don't think you should do the deal or why it's not in the best interest, don't do it. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, it always ends up, you know, you need to trust your gut. I think um, cockiness also comes into play when you are on top. Uh, have a healthy paranoia and the customers first. Um, don't get too cocky. Don't don't uh, don't think that you know it all, and or you you can solve everything with money, you know. Um, so uh, you know that that came with it. Also, to understand the diversity in in your company, the diversity of gender and age and color and creed and beliefs, and and to make sure there are experts in there. Uh, I didn't know this, but I didn't realize that every for every fifty people, you probably need an HR person. So I became a shrink at the end of the day in my company because I wanted people to feel like there was an open door policy and you can speak to me at any time, but I can't be an expert in everything. I can't be an expert in the way to communicate with other adults and different genders and different uh, idealisms. Wow. And you need people there because your, your, your team is your, that's your bread and butter, man. That's your, that's your bloodline. Uh, and you, may, you need to make sure that you are working just as hard and listening to these people that work just as hard for you. Um, to to make them feel comfortable, because then if you do that, they will they will they will bust their butt for you. That's beautiful and profound. It's very human, Damon. I'm I'm going to uh, project 
I'm just going to share a story from the, my presidential campaign uh, because I, I sense that you might have had a similar experience with FUBU. Uh, where, so no one really thought my running for president was a great idea initially. <laughs> and, then, and then as we gathered momentum, we raised maybe $10 million in like a three-month period, which ended up making national headlines. And then all of a sudden, all of these political consultants and firms came out of the woodwork where they, they showed up and were like, hey, you uh, need our advice on this. You need to do this. Like, this is the way that you grow. And you're, it's your first time doing it. So you're like, okay, like these people have been through versions of this. So like, I need to hear them out. Uh, but then some of them are full of shit. <laughs> but, but, it, but it takes you a while to figure out which is which because some of them actually are sharing very valuable hard-won experience and you know their, their guidance is invaluable and then others are just there like to be parasitic and just freaking latch on to you and try and siphon off as much money as they can during the time they have yeah 100 percent. and i you know listen i believe that that is a big that is a big um aspect of anybody's success you know not only the the great times that you succeeded and the people around you the great people but getting screwed or 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 seeing the bad side of it um, you know, you could, and especially in any industry, I'm sure there's no difference in politics, right? By the time I was, you know, by the time, you know, FUBU started to slow down and I acquired my other companies, I already know who to deal with or not because I've been screwed by everybody, right? So I knew, I knew who the crooks were and I knew who the good people were. Um, and I, I think in any industry, people, people, people start to get that. And that, that's what comes with age and experience and wisdom and, 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 and trying, you know, and, 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 and trials and tribulations. So you were running a whole series of businesses, and then you wound up hitting the public eye in a huge way, uh, maybe 2009, 2010, when Shark Tank starts hitting the scene. And I remember seeing the bios and being like, oh my gosh, like freaking Damon, the founder of, of FUBU's like on this show. <laughs> like, like, it like, brought me back to my childhood, honestly, and like, you know, like uh, all of like the, uh, the, the cool factor that, uh, you know, you brought to... Uh, neighborhoods all around the country uh, and on Shark Tank you've now invested it seems like 10 million of your own money uh, in, in how many businesses like how many uh, enterprises you're involved with now I think we're at 88 that's incredible and uh, a lot of people who are fans of Shark Tank actually you know know those businesses well because they, they watched that episode and they, they saw you decide to commit to uh, Bamba or, or the uh, the uh, barbecues, boneless ribs, or like any of the other uh, places that that you've uh, invested in. I gotta say, man, like I see you on the show, and I imagine these eighty-eight entrepreneurs, and I'm just like, you must feel like this head of the this like extended household <laughs> of like dozens of entrepreneurs who are all over the country trying to make things happen, and you're like the godfather. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really curious about what that's like because you know I know you well enough to know that you're like a high character stand-up guy where you're going to like you know want the best for these people and actually like genuinely mentor them uh, uh but at the same time like i was like man like uh you know some of these uh businesses i'm sure could use damon all the time <laughs> try, try to guide them through the hurdles you know i i gotta tell you i'm i'm very transparent i'm very open with all the people that i invest in but you know i'm a minority stakeholder in any and all their companies and some of them truly value what i say and some of them couldn't care less. 
um, because, uh, you know, Andrew, you've seen startups for years. And, uh, you know, if you look at my 88 or investments or whatever they are, so this is really the way it works, right? 30% of them, one third, is probably not doing well. And COVID has only uh, shortened their lifespan because they probably weren't able to transition. They 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 weren't somebody who was uh, educating themselves or un understanding where the digital world is going in. Got to probably close those businesses down. Another third of them, like Bombas, they don't call me because if I say something, I'll screw them up. They're so brilliant. You know, when you have a great founder or a great founding team, they'll call you. They'll ask you 10 things. You'll give them 10 answers and they'll maybe use one because they're sorting out all the things that work for them. So I don't even want to bother them. It's the third. It's the one third in the middle that is on the fence and they need some they need some nurturing. They don't, whatever the case is. But um, often, you know, the theory on Shark Tank is a lot of people believe that we just roll up and give you the money. I learned that the first year when I was out of seven hundred fifty thousand dollars by not asking for what are your uh, use of, you know the use of proceeds you know how are you going to use the money so now sometimes my entrepreneurs aren't really big fans they go all right D well you know if you give us you know all the money we'll no I'm going to give you twenty five percent of the money and you need to get the business to here and then that'll activate the other twenty five so. But at the end of the day, they respect me. I hope they do. I respect all of them for allowing me to be part of their dream. But I wouldn't call myself the godfather. I'd not call myself the, the weird cousin in the family. You know, uh, and they'll be like, mm, I don't know if we should talk to Damon about it. But it, it, is, it is just an it is a great opportunity for me to be part of the ones who are successful. And the ones that fail, I, I'm really happy that they allowed me to be part of their dream. And maybe they, and I never mentioned the ones who fail because I don't want to, mess up who they are because you know somebody who failed in this business and maybe their third they're gonna hit they're gonna hit uh they're gonna hit the a gold mine on their fifth business right they just they just learn to start over a little more wisely i'm very open about the fact that my first company was a total failure <laughs> like I, I joke all the time on how it was like a mini rise and maximum fall and it felt like the end of the world at the time i was in my mid-20s i'd lost investors uh six figures in investment it seemed like all the money in the world at the time uh and then you pick yourself up and you learn from it and you you know get back at it uh and you know you certainly embody that better than just about anyone i actually love the characterization of you as the weird cousin uh in part because what you said about the fact that when founders really have their fingers on the pulse of their business, they really do know it best. Uh, and, and one of the toughest things about being an entrepreneur, which I'd alluded to earlier, is figuring out what to block out, really. Like you get subject to so many sources of advice and input. That's actually true in politics too. <laughs> you, you, you do get a lot, like, a lot of people have an opinion about whatever you're doing. Uh, and, and so I think one of like the biggest things you have to do is uh, develop your own judgment, your own confidence and say, okay, like th th this is my vision and this is what I think I should be doing. Uh, and you sense entrepreneurs developing that judgment over time. Like when you start out, you're much more uh, susceptible to the other people's opinions, particularly the people that have done more than you, which is, you know, at, at that point, like a lot of people, you feel like, oh, well, like this person knows better than me. But if the business is going to work, you have to know the business better than anyone else. 100%. I mean, it's your vision. It's your baby. It's going to be the way that you execute it. Should you take in as much information as possible? Yes, but you got to sift through it and see what works for you. Again, going back to trusting your gut on some things, um, taking 
uh, failing fast, but taking many, many steps to realize what you what the clutter is that you got to get out of the way that you tried or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're going to have to execute your business your own way. I mean, because I can sit there all day and give you advice on how to run an apparel business, but that doesn't mean you're running a FUBU. You could be running a ladies business. You could be running a sportswear brand, or you could be uh, running a, uh, you know, a high-end runway brand. Well, if, if you take my advice on running a high-end runway brand, you're in trouble. <laughs> what are you talking about? You you scream high fashion, David. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Putting a big FB and a big 051 jerseys, uh, that that's not that difficult, Andrew. I gotta share that with you. It was all it was more we were more of a marketing company than anything else, if you really think about that. I've I've seen how good you look in person, Damon. I think you got a very very keen fashion sense. Maybe it got developed a little bit later <laughs> because by the time you and I met, it was like at the White House. <laughs> we, 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 we were. You're you're right, and when you say it, you got to be able to be you know have your own vision and be able to execute on the vision that you have as you take in information, but do not drown in opportunity when it comes to information. One of my favorite things about you over this past number of years is, is it's clear that you're trying to teach others and not just through Shark Tank. You know, you've written a series of books. Uh, I haven't read all your books, but I did read The Power of Broke, which I enjoyed a great deal and uh, found it to be really inspiring. Well, thank you. Uh, and, and even now you have like, a, which I love the name of this. It's like Damon on Demand. <laughs> Where, it, it, But I can sense that you're genuinely just trying to edify people who are coming up uh, on some of the lessons that you learned the hard way. Uh, and, and it's really beautiful, man. It's very wholesome. I think it's one reason why you and I connected, uh, because I, I, I tried to do a lot of the same things, but I think you hit on ways to do it at scale in a, in a way that I frankly did not. Well, no, I appreciate it. I, we, listen, I, I just think that, you know, that's how we met and you know what you were doing uh, with all those great uh, companies coming up. And I just think there's too much crap out in the world of, you know, everybody's showing kind of like this sizzle reel of their life and how... You're supposed to have shortcuts and this and that. When it's just not. It's it, but it, but it's not. It's also not that difficult. You know, if you could see, you know, guys like you and me and 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 people make it. Just you know, we just need to show some of the challenges in it. And okay, anything you do has challenges. But if you see a little kid like me who's dyslexic and uh, a person of color that got left back, didn't go to high, didn't go to college. Excuse me, and my father left when. And I was 10 years old and I didn't have any money. If you see that I can make it, then you can make it too. You know, as long as, uh, as, long as we educate you on, on, on affordable ways to, to invest in yourself and, uh, and, and hopefully go out there and accomplish what you want to accomplish. No, that's beautiful, Damon. You know, I talked to someone who's a parent of a dyslexic child about how so many of the most successful entrepreneurs are dyslexic. Uh, I don't know if you've connected with other people on that. I think Barbara Corcoran is actually in that category too, where she is dyslexic and is also like you, this entrepreneurial titan. Eight of 12 sharks are dyslexic. I've been on the show dyslexic. Kevin is dyslexic. Barbara's dyslexic. I'm dyslexic. Branson's dyslexic. I believe Rohan's dyslexic. So since you lived this, what do you attribute that incredible correlation to? Because having two thirds of sharks being dyslexic is staggering. I think that, well, I know that I can attribute my dyslexia to, it is that um, whenever I would read something, I would have to read it many times because I wasn't not certain that I absorbed the information the right way. And even after that, like I, I read Think and Grow Rich every, every other year um, and Buffetology and various other books. But um, 
after that, I also used to go out and try to practice the things that I thought that I read because I still wasn't certain that I absorbed the information the right way. So going out to practice things would 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 really help me perfect whatever I was doing. Also, um, I I went to work to make money often because uh, in school they offered a co-op program where you could work one week and then go to school the next and get a credit. And that was my cheat to get out of school. I went to work and it started it started helping me understand and I was actually working at First Boston venture capital firm as a as a messenger and I started to hear these guys uh, you know in the lunchrooms always these big these big brokers and you know hedge fund guys talking and I think that I I found a fascination for investing you know when I was 16 years old just sitting listening to these people so it ended up coming back to me in my life right around my 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 uh, beginning of my 30s so this was a co-op during high school because that's awesome is that right yeah, it was co-op during high school. I spent my uh, my 10th, 11th, and 12th grade in co-op. Well, that's early, and I love that. I think we should do that for more young people. The stuff I've heard and read about why dyslexic uh, entrepreneurs are so common is that, one, you're not good at school, so you're looking around being like, okay, what else can I do? Because, like, you know, obviously, like, you know, like, if reading's difficult, then, like, teachers will probably think that you're... Not not that smart, even though you're like, wait a minute, I, I don't I don't think that's the problem. <laughs> maybe, maybe one thing, uh, but the other thing is that apparently dyslexic young people find other ways to try and accomplish things, and often those other ways involve other people. So one of the things that I've read is that if let's say you're not going to be good at producing the paper, you look around and be like, well, who would be good at producing this paper? <laughs> and then you're like, hey, maybe, maybe maybe we could like get together. Maybe I'm good at something you're not so good at. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think that you bring up some good points, but I do want to do I do want to share that because so like so seven presidents were dyslexic. Uh, I think I think it's something like forty eight percent of entrepreneurs are dyslexic. Uh, uh, a large percentage of chefs are dyslexic, but also Einstein was dyslexic. But you know, there's a large uh, a large amount of people incarcerated dyslexic too because the same thing happens. You know, if you're in school and you're not you know because if you have ADD ADHD, um, there are drugs that can help those things. So that since the drug companies getting paid, they can put out more information to educate you on ADD, ADHD. But the only way to cure or not cure to address dyslexia is to learn more, actually. So when a kid is in school and they don't want to go, huh, in the third grade or whatever, because they feel embarrassed and because kids are going to call them stupid and stuff. A lot of times they don't have the right resources around them. People will say, hey, I don't think you're dumb at all. Why don't you stand on this corner? I'm going to show you how to make some money, right? So I, I do want to make sure that as we talk about this, if parents think that there's any challenge that kids are having with whether lack of hearing or ADHD, of course, but of course with dyslexia, to go get it checked out because um, it's not your kid looking for attention. You know, they, they don't have a pill to get rid of it. You have to study even harder. So, but I think it's something that is important. That, that is so real. And I don't know if you know this, but one of my boys is autistic and we got the diagnosis when he was four and felt so grateful because up to that time we were struggling. But I agree with you. If you have a child uh, or if there's a young person uh, hearing this, uh, you definitely should try and uh, figure out what's going on and not just say like, well, this is just the way it is. So you have your fingers on the pulse of many businesses and many industries, some of them retail, some of them consumer facing. What are you seeing right now in terms of uh, the COVID economy and the potential recovery? Because it, it seems like there is a lot of pent up energy. Obviously, you've got this 
uh, money from the federal government that we're starting to see trickle in. But like, do, do you are you seeing opportunities uh, early on uh, that people might not have noticed yet? I'm not seeing anything specific. I'm seeing, um, you know, of course, people who were reaching out directly to their customers. I'm seeing that that is working. I'm seeing people are extremely getting extremely creative and doing a lot of collaborations um, to try to bring more value to their customers and borrow other people's audiences. You know, uh, I am seeing that people are trying to find ways. They're more rebellious and they're more uh, sensitive to matters, uh, meaning that um, they want you or your company to reflect the people you serve. Um, and if not, they are going to go someplace else or fight you uh, uh, for not doing that. I also see that people want you to be more of a great corporate citizen. So if they're going to be able to purchase, they can purchase from anybody, but they want to know what did you do lately for somebody. So unlike when I was coming up and I would give at the end of the year, they don't do that any longer. They say they, uh, that, that, that consumer is on Zoom or at the dining room table saying, I gave 30 times this year. And you go, how do you get 30 times this year? You, I mean, you, you only make, you know, you work at the pizza shop. Well, every time I bought this, I'll help clean up the ocean. Every time I bought this, I, I try to stop human trafficking. And every time I bought this, you know, um, I saved a furry friend of ours uh, from being euthanized. So there's a lot of things going on like that. And, and the biggest thing I'm seeing is people hating the system. They hate, they hate when they feel the system is against them. So whether they're marching in the streets with Black Lives Matter signs of people of all colors or whether they're saying the American dream is if I have two pennies to rub together, I can get into the stock market if I want and you should not be able to hold me back. And I'm going to pull back the curtain on the Wizard of Oz and show you that I can do this too. And if you don't let me in, I'm calling all my friends and we're, we're going to we're going to trash this place, you know. So, uh, you know, these are all the things I'm seeing. And I think that we're, we're headed for, you know, I think that we're going to have a little bit of a tough time with whatever is going on with these viruses and variants, whatever the case is. But I do think that we are going like, you know, and everybody else is saying it. We're heading for the roaring 20s again. You know, I think that people are going to be so um, pent up, so excited about life, so cabin fever, so whatever it is. And I think that we're going to be, we're just going to be doing business in a whole new way. And um, and those are all the things I'm seeing. Um, and, uh, you know, end of the day, I, the only thing I can ever tell anybody out there is to, uh, you know, go after and do things and invest and or start businesses and things that you are absolutely obsessed with. Do not start saying, oh, today's NFTs, tomorrow's crypto. Oh, by the way, I'm in a sports card expert tomorrow. Just go. You know, there's going to be so many things being thrown away, so much information, as you and I just said. Really go after the things uh, that you really understand and you enjoy thoroughly that you would be doing for free if you, you know, or, or you know, if you could. Well, that's great advice, Damon. Uh, you are one of the world's great entrepreneurs. It's a privilege to be your friend, brother. Uh, you've touched so many lives, improved so many lives, uh, and you just keep doing it every day, man. You're you're an inspiring figure, uh, and I hope people take your advice and find the thing that they are obsessed about and dig into it. Uh, because I agree with you, that's like the best way to become successful. People can sense when you're committed to something because you just love that thing versus committed to something because you think it's like, you know, the opportunity of the moment. Well, I think, I hope people get the same thing out of you, man. You've been my, you've been my guy for, for quite some time and um, I've been proud of all the things that you're doing. And anytime that I call you, bang, you're there. You know, and that's why anytime you call me, I'll be here for you, brother. And I know there's a lot of people who are going to benefit off of whatever you are going to do. You, you like to serve, man, and I really appreciate you. Thanks to you and the team, man. We'll be in touch soon. You got it, brother. Peace.